It is the sound of life that just keeps calling and begging us to press on. It's no wonder that so many of us have a complicated relationship with rest in a world of hustle. Quite honestly, for many of us, we view this whole notion of rest as an Old Testament command that no longer applies to New Testament disciples. Or we, we view rest as this ancient practice that's no longer relevant in a modern world. And we convince ourselves that because it's not for us, that we need to just keep pressing on. In a world that's constantly sprinting forward, this notion of Sabbath feels like a luxury that we simply cannot afford. But what if God's invitation was more than just a command to be obeyed, but rather a gift for his people to be enjoyed and embraced? Over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack this idea of Sabbath rest. We're going to look at what the scriptures say about it and explore God's invitation to us as his followers to embrace it. We're going to discover that it's not only a profound gift for our souls, but it's also a critical companion to the gospel. Rest actually points us to a completed work. Rest is a reminder of God's sovereignty. Rest is God's answer to our striving. And rest is a salve for our souls in a world that's constantly calling us to hustle. What we're going to discover is that God's invitation to rest is actually not just an Old Testament outdated command, but rather God's invitation to rest is a gift of grace designed to help us walk at his pace. And here's why. Because it's really, really hard to hear from God at the speed of hustle. Don't you want to hear from God? Don't you want to be at the center of what he's doing both in you and in the world? Over the next four weeks, then, we're going to unpack this complicated relationship that we have with rest. We're, we're going to study it and, and build a biblical theology of it, each week looking at a different portion of the scriptures to have a, a, a bigger picture of what God is inviting is, us into. At times it'll be theological, every week it'll be practical, but all of it with an aim for us to draw closer to Jesus, because what we'll see is that in Jesus we find our rest. And God is inviting us to embrace this work that he has done. But before we just dive into the journey and start learning and making notes, can we just pause? Can we actually for a brief moment practice this and invite God to slow us down that we would hear his voice and that we would walk at his pace as we open his scriptures? Would you pray with me? Father, in the midst of all of the busyness, 
of what lays behind or what may be before us today. Father, would you just take that from us? We, we lay it before you and ask for your help in laying it down. Would you protect our minds from going to all of the things that we need to do later today? And Father, would you tune our hearts to your voice? And would you, through the power of your spirit, speak to us through your scriptures that we may understand you and draw near to you and be changed by you? And so, Father, slow us and speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We cannot begin a conversation on rest without beginning in the beginning, because rest actually begins in the beginning, in the creation story. So the very first book of the Bible is Genesis. Grab your Bible if you have one, maybe one under the seat rack in front of you, or pull it up on your favorite app, your favorite device, and join us in the very first book, the very first page of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 27 in a moment, but let me just set the context here. Genesis is a story, it begins with the story of creation. We don't have time to unpack all of this story and unpack creation. If you're interested in that, we preached a series on Genesis years ago where we did that. But today we're going to look at this notion of rest from creation. It's important for you to know, however, that the story of creation is less a story about how and more a story about who. For an ancient people who understood nothing of DNA and understood nothing of molecular structures and what God was doing and couldn't even see past their own horizon, let alone the stars and Milky Ways, God wasn't seeking in this story to answer all of our questions about how, but scripture, what it speaks to so firmly over and over again is that there's a divine who behind all of it. And it's trying to pin our hearts on a who. And that's why throughout chapter one, you hear this punctuated refrain, God created, God said, God saw, God called, God made, God blessed, over and over, God is at the center of the story because the scripture's singular focus and design in this moment is to call our attention to God, to call our attention to his activity and it should lead us then not just to pay attention to God's creative activity, but also his resting. That's where we pick up the journey for us today. Genesis chapter 1, begin with me at verse 27. We'll put it on the screens for you to follow along. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus 
the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So in the story of creation, as we reach this final day, the seventh day, God moves from creating to now resting, a divine activity scripted for us and preserved for us in history for a reason. As we study the text, I want to pull a few things from it. I want us to notice a few things. First, notice the repetition, uh, looking primarily at our main text this morning, Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Notice the repetition, even just in the first two verses. Two times in those two verses, it says that God finished. He finished his work. And then two more times, it reinforces. He didn't just finish his work. He finished it all. In fact, it would go on and add all a third time in verse 3. Finished all. Finished all. It is a punctuated refrain designed to emphasize this singular fact that God completed all his work. And what he finishes, he finishes completely. Now hear me say this because this becomes a foundation on which everything is built. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that what God finishes, he finishes completely. He completes the work. And then he steps back and declares that it is not just good, it is very good. This has huge implications for us because it sets the stage for us understanding rest and embracing it as a a gift from God. The fact that God finished all, finished all, is important. Why? Because our lives are nothing like this. The story of creation begins with God completing and finishing everything. It all. This rubs against the grain of our entire human experience, does it not? Because our work is never done. The minute you think you've cleared your inbox, Before you can even close the lid of the laptop, bing, someone else emails you. You're trying to get out the door on vacation and you can't keep up with work. Coming back is a nightmare. You don't even want to think about it. You get home and you find that there's just more and more and more to do. The laundry is always piling up and the minute you folded that last piece of clean clothing, you turn around and there's a kid messed up. Just a big heap of mess waiting for something to be washed. And your teenager saying that, no, they need this because it's the only thing that they can wear tomorrow. The work is never finished. And yet there's this punctuated refrain in creation that tells us that God is different. For us in our world, things are always and perpetually in a state of incompleteness. There's always unfinished work, but not so with God. He created all things in six days, and then God finished all. Finished all. And what God finishes, he finishes completely. 
This is a backbone for theology for us. It defines not only God and his activity, it gives us security for everything that comes after. He is the only one who can finish all. Finish all. And what God finishes, he finishes completely and declares to be good. And who else can do that but God? And it's our theology here of rest coming out of this that when God finished his work, then there was rest. There was nothing more to do. What does that mean for us? It means that rest, found in just the second page of the scriptures, rest is a divine invitation to remember God's finished work. Rest for you and I is a divine invitation to remember not your work, but to remember God's finished work. Every time we rest, we are reminded, or at least we should be, of this passage. He finished all, finished all. And what God finishes, he finishes completely. And he declares it to be very good. Rest is this divine reminder, this divine invitation to embrace a finished work. So often we think about rest in, in the sense of what we do and needing to cease from it. Rest is less about you and your work and far more about you remembering God's work. That's so important for everything that we'll see moving through the scriptures moving forward. And one of the central reasons then that you and I are invited to embrace this gift of rest is because it's an invitation to remember God and his work. Because in the midst of a world that is always moving at the speed of hustle, with to-do lists that never get to done, God is able to finish his work. And what he finishes, he finishes completely. Remember that. And that means his promise to finish the work that he began in you. It means that what God promised, he will do. Because God is a finisher. And what he started in you, he will finish. And what he finishes, he completes. He finishes completely. Rest is this divine invitation to remember this finished work. Man, in a world that is constantly calling us to more activity where it never feels done, we're reminded that, that God can finish. His greatest work is already done. I don't know what, what your experience is in daily life, but mine is just one of constant frustration that things never get done, which as a perfectionist is really terrible. Because I'm always looking to achieve some kind of state of everything in its right place, everything done, everything tied in a nice, neat little bow. I don't know why we had kids. <laughs> because nothing's ever done and nothing is ever neat and tidy, right? And so work is just a hustle, and work is constant calls. And then at the end of the day, just when I think that I can move on, and I get in a car where no one can bother me, and no one can knock on the door, I find myself in traffic. And it's not moving. And I find then it's in that moment that my friends who know me best know that I've just left work, and this is the best time to reach me. And so there in the midst of traffic, the phone is ringing and binging, and I find it efficient to spend this downtime making phone calls to check in on people. Because there's always more to be done. 
And I know that what will greet me when I walk in the door is a pile of mail that's sitting there that needs to be sorted and determined, is this trash or treasure? I know that what greets me in the door are kids who've had long days and need to get words out, and a wife who's had a longer day with these kids, and she needs to get her words out, and I find myself, without any words, diving into more work. I find that there is dinner to help make, that there are dishes then to be done, only for the last dish to be completed and to turn around and find that there was one hiding on the stove. (laughs) And if I'm lucky enough that it's a Monday or a Thursday and there's a game on that I want to watch, I find it's constantly being interrupted by the questions and the requests. What do you want to do about this? What should we do here? So-and-so is asking about this date, but would this date be better? What decision do you want to make on this? Should we wait until this paycheck or that one? Daddy, could you maybe fix this? Daddy, could you take a look at this? Daddy, would you spend time with this? It is an endless stream of activity beckoning your attention. And in the midst of it all, God declares one day and says, stop. Not so that you would just cease from your endless work, but so that you might remember that there is actually such a thing as a finished work. And God finished it. And what he finishes, he finishes completely. And what he did once, we cling to this hope that he can do again. See, what scripture invites us into is less about resting from our work and more about resting in God's work. And if God is a finisher, then that's help for our anxious souls. The things left unfinished that has our minds and hearts in a knot, we can rest knowing that we serve a God who can complete all things completely. I said there were two things in this text. The second I want to look at now. The first was this finished work. The second we see in verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. That word rest there is the Hebrew word Shabbat from which we get Sabbath, God Shabbat. On the seventh day, God, Shabbat, he, he rested. It literally means to rest or to cease. Now, next week, we're going to unpack the Old Testament command to Sabbath. And we're going to wrestle with this notion, is that still applied to us today or does it not apply? If Jesus fulfilled the law, do we really have to do that anymore? And we tend to ask that question looking for an out. We're going to find it's actually a little trickier than just old and new. But that's next week. What I want you to see is this word we often determine as rest or to cease. And this is how we often talk about rest, right? And Sabbath, that we need to rest. We need to cease. That's why we view it as a necessity for us because we're, we're fragile people. We're frazzled people. We have kids and they wear us down and we're tired creatures. And so isn't God so nice that he gives us rest? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. What if this isn't the entire story? What if Shabbat isn't just rest and ceasing? I mean, if we base this word and this notion, and the entire notion is wrapped up in just the fact that we're fatigued, and because we're fatigued, you need to stop and rest, and we all know we should do it, then why on earth does God rest? 
If rest is about the need to cease, why does God rest? I mean, we serve an all-powerful God who, who never tires. The scriptures say he never slumbers and sleeps. Why does God need to rest? I would argue God doesn't need to rest. God chooses to rest. And maybe there's something more going on in the text. See, Shabbat doesn't just mean to rest or to cease. Shabbat can also mean to delight. There's a rabbinic tradition then that suggests that God on the seventh day doesn't rest in the way that you and I take it, in the way that you and I as fragile, finite creatures think it to be. God, as infinite and holy and all-powerful and never-ending, God doesn't cease because he is tired. God chooses to stop and he delights in what has been done. He turns back and he looks at his handiwork and he celebrates creation. He glories in it. It's not that God is fatigued and he needs a day to like, oh, stretch out his hands after crafting all the little creatures. <laughs> no, God turns and he marks this day as a day to delight. This reframes how we view rest then. Rest, this notion coming before the fall, before things were broken, before work became difficult, rest was instituted as a way of God delighting in his work, and he invites us then to delight in his work too. See, rest is less about escaping the grind as we normally think it, and far more about glorying and delighting in God. God created rest before the fall, and he invites us to pay attention to this activity because it's far more about escaping work and far more about delighting in God's finished work, glorying in him. See, we treat Sabbath and rest as escape. This is why we get annoyed and bicker at home about why did you invite so-and-so over? That's not restful. They're a lot of work. <laughs> Ever had that conversation? But what if rest is something different? What if it's a divine invitation to enter into something instead of escape from something? To enter into and delight in what God is doing instead of just stepping away from what you have done. It changes our view of the Sabbath, not as this thing of escape, but this thing of glory and delight. Now, some scholars note in this that there's actually no formal command here in Genesis 2, 1 to 3. When God first speaks of rest, when he practices it himself, there's no formal command that you should do this too. And so many scholars are like, see, so we don't have to. Keep answering those emails. True, there is no formal command here. The command comes later. We'll unpack that next week. What there is, though, is a divine example and anytime there's a divine example, we need to pay attention. Shouldn't we as Christians want to be found doing the things that God does? If God takes an activity upon himself and does it, shouldn't we take notice of that? And if possible, follow suit in that? When, when God is generous, we say we should be generous. When God is loving, we, we say we should be loving. When God is forgiving, we say, yeah, we, we should be forgiving. Maybe. 
And we see these activities of God and we declare if this was good for God, then this is good for his people and his people should walk in what God has walked in. And so if God has walked in this, in this activity of rest, why is it that we fight it so hard? Why is it that we want to say, well, there's not really a command, therefore, when in fact, if this is what God does, is it not good enough for his people? Not just that, notice also verse 3. It says that not only does God do this himself, it says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He blessed it and made it holy. God actively does something with this day. He blesses it and declares it holy. Holy means to, to make sacred. What does this say about the value that God is putting on this day? That he would bless this day and sanctify it and make it holy. Does that not say something about this day that should make God's people say, hmm, maybe we should pay attention to that? If that is blessed and that is holy, then maybe we should walk in that. There's an example, a principle here at work. If this is this important to God, perhaps disregarding it, or perhaps acting like we don't need it is an affront to something that God himself took upon himself. See, it rubs against up a critical part of theology. If God, while we recognize he doesn't need rest, chooses to rest, and we who need rest choose not to, what does that say about how we think about ourselves? and really who we're scripting higher on the hierarchy of life. God blesses this day, he made it holy. This means that there is a sanctifying work in rest. When we enter it, we enter something that God has declared is sanctified and holy. Rest then, Sabbath, is a part of God's sanctifying work for our soul. Rest is a part of God's sanctifying work in our souls. It's a way in which he ministers to us. It's a, it's a way in which he comes alongside of us and we come under what he has declared is blessed. We come under what he has declared to be holy so that we might be a part of that too. Do, do you not yearn for God's blessing? Do you not yearn for God to make you more holy? My wife yearns for me to be more holy. And I'll just tell you as a matter of fact, when I'm moving at the speed of hustle, holiness is rarely there. My responses, my attitude, my patience, they don't, they don't keep up very well. And so God invites us to slow down. In a world that's always calling us to the speed of hustle, God invites us to slow our souls and enter the sanctifying space. The problem is it's really hard to hear God at the speed of hustle, and it's really hard for God's work to hit deeply at the speed of hustle. And so he invites us to slow down. This is why we need rest. So, so what does this mean then? What's the takeaway as we, we kick off in this conversation on rest? Each week we're gonna close and get very, very practical 
Each week, we'll, we'll look at the things that we're called to rest from and the things that, that are still allowable and, and rest, and we'll unpack those as we go. And I know there's so, so many questions on this, but just to set the framework today, I wanted us to think differently about rest, not as an escape from, but a delighting in, a gift, an invitation. So what does this mean in terms of how we should live this coming week, what we should practice? A couple takeaways, very practically. First, and I'll have to spell this out for you because it's pretty complicated, but first, we need to slow down. Sad but true, slowing down is complicated for us. Sad but true, we have to spell out what that looks like because it's a foreign thing in today's distracted culture. But the first thing that we're invited to do is to slow down, to move at a different speed, What we're going to see next week is that God actually works at a very different speed with his people in the desert. The week after that, we'll look at Jesus. Jesus walks at a very different pace and speed. I believe God is inviting us to slow down. Not escape from, but slow down and delight in. What we're going to see as a framework as we move forward is this this one 24-hour day that God blessed and sanctified. He's inviting us to slow down. This one 24-hour period. Can you, this week, just challenge yourself in that? This month, challenge yourself in that. This season, challenge yourself in that. There's a reason that we're doing this series right before Christmas. And Christmas is coming, (laughs) y'all. The next four weeks, we're talking about rest And then Thanksgiving hits and we go right into the Christmas season. And the Christmas season has this funny way of winding everything up like those little toys we buy our children. Far be it from us to miss the most important work of God when he sent his son to redeem all things. And yet so often in that season we are so busy we do not delight in what God did. And so over the next several weeks you're going to hear us say this refrain, slow down. And as we head into the Christmas season, we're going to keep saying it, slow down. And you're going to find that we've actually pulled back on some activity at the church in this season, not as many events, in order to slow down. And part of slowing down, then, is not just escaping, but delighting in God. In this, though, the second suggestion is that as you contemplate what it looks like to slow down for you and your family, I've learned I cannot slow down without prayer. So I'm going to challenge you, secondly, to pray about how to rest. Pray about finding the time to rest. Pray about staying in a state of rest. You have to pray. We work at a different speed than God, and so we need God to come in and to teach us a new pace and a new rhythm to life. It's really hard to rest because, again, the lists are endless. And what I've learned is that I need to pray that God helps me get done everything that he's called me to do. And here's the funny thing. If God's called me to do it, he's made a way for it to happen. More often than not, the things that don't get done at the end of the week were things that really weren't as big a priority to him as I thought. They were actually a bigger priority to me. Moments when I'm feeling hurried and moments when I'm stressed, when I pause and I just ask God to help me get it done, to help me get his work done, God always makes margin for his work. Now, sometimes it comes at the expense of the things that I think are important. But I've also learned that letting those things go rarely hurts as bad as I think it will. 
And so this week, as you think about slowing down, would you pray and ask God to help you get done what needs to be done according to his kingdom so that you can slow down and delight in his work? With this, the series is important. And I've spent a lot of time reading on this over, honestly, the past year off and on, and a ton over this past summer. And part of the conversation fascinates me a ton because I'm so guilty of moving at the speed of hustle. I'm a perfectionist. I'm always working. There's also performance in there. there there's, there's things that my soul looks to that it shouldn't that I'm trying to unpack. And there's a history, too, that I come by honestly. You see, my dad suffered from three stress-related burnouts, three, during his career. You know, the funny thing about burnout is once you have like a true burnout, a true breaking point burnout, you never return to the level that you were once at. You never run at that speed again. It's always just a little bit slower. So imagine three times watching that. And then finding yourself with this DNA that is constantly calling you to march forward and to earn and to work and to prove. And in the midst of this, so many times I've sacrificed things like family on the altar of ministry. Going to seminary and trying to prove things. I've told the story before, almost sacrificed my marriage in the process. And yet God is not looking for me to accomplish my work. He's looking for me to join him in his work and delight in his finished work. In the process of unpacking this and trying to figure out why my soul goes to these places, a counselor that I spent time with challenged me in this, and I'll pass it on to you, as a part of prayer. Not only should I pray about my work throughout the day, but at the end of the day, when I'm feeling anxious that all my work has not been done, I need to end my day in prayer. And here is the prayer I want to challenge you in. That we end our day in prayer, handing things over to a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. Recognizing that while we have to stop, God never does. And oh, what comfort for my soul when the to-do list is still calling my name and I can hand things over to an all-powerful God who will watch over me while I'm sleeping, who watches over a world and people on the other side of the planet as they're rising. He is there to greet them because he never takes the time out. He paused and he gave us a model in order that we might enter his rest and that we might be reminded it is not about our work. And so can you this week slow down? Can you this week all the more remind yourself and delight yourself that God's greatest work is already finished? Can I just ask a question? What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove still with your career and the awards and the accolades and the bigger this and the more hours that and the stuff that you're dreaming of putting in your garage or your driveway to impress the people that you don't even know? Slow down and recognize that God's greatest work is already done. 
that he so loved you that he gave his one and only, Jesus Christ, who completed everything completely. He perfectly fulfilled the law and then willingly traded places with us that he would die on the cross for our sins. And having completed the work, Jesus on the cross declared in a final breath, it is finished. And he invites you to enter his rest and to stop striving and ceasing and to enjoy the fact that his greatest work has already been done. And what he's continuing to do in you and your story, he will complete, and he promises that what he finishes, he finishes completely. And oh, that we would rest and delight in that. But if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know his rest. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And as we close, we're going to sing, and we're going to slow our pace, and we're going to sing about what Jesus is inviting us into. And as we sing these words, would you think about them? As we reflect on Christ's finished work and what God has done and finished completely, would you think on these things? And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and embraced his finished work, would you do so today? In a moment, we'll pray together, but let's worship together. Father God, we are horrible at this. We are horrible at rest. And we need you to teach us, God, how not just to cease from our work, but God, how to embrace and rest in your work. Teach us what that means and what that looks like. And for those, God, who find themselves in a place today striving, seeking to prove something, Father, would you call out to them right now through your spirit? Would you invite them, God, to embrace the work that you have already done on the cross through your son, Jesus Christ? Lord, may we rest in his perfection and find there, God, the answer, the answer to our greatest problem. We ask it in Jesus' name. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.